Great counter by Theory. Yeah, but Theory's back gave out after Ray went to the back a few moments ago. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mysterio, 619. Come on, Ray, dropping the dime. Ray Mysterio for the United States. You are listening to a Dirty Sheets double edition here. We're not going to be doing this again. This is a rarity just simply because the last week was my busiest week of the year for podcasting. It was Futures Week where I need to put out a Futures show for the Premier League and at La Liga as well as studying match day one, as well as covering the Women's World Cup, as well as looking ahead to the start of the Serie A and the Bundesliga season as well. So a huge week, loads of podcasts to do, loads of wrestling to watch as well. Also had to do the Dirty Sheets with Cav on Friday, as well as my son being on his summer holidays as well and having to do all the things that come with that. It was just a very, very bad week to not do podcasting, but to sit down and actually watch Smackdown and Raw as soon as they happened. And God knows how far behind I am now with AEW. I need to catch up with all of that this week before the UK pay-per-view. So trying my best to catch up, which is why I'm not pulling the trigger with the subscription service right away. I will be doing that in time for the next episode. So this will probably be your final show that you get for free other than the weekly dirty sheets. As I said, we will be sporadically putting shows up from time to time to give you a taste but this will probably be one of the last ones, along with wrestling lists. We're going to give you a sample of what those bonus shows will look and sound like, but we're going to put that one up on YouTube because we still need another 1,000 hours of content viewed in order to re-qualify for monetization. So we are now two-thirds of the way there, so thank you for that. Off our first video, we got to 1,100. We've done a couple more, and we are now just approaching the 2000 mark so a thousand more just over a thousand more will be there we'll be able to change the dirty sheet show do it live on youtube it'll also still be a podcast but we will be able to allow you guys to interact and participate with that show so lots of things coming ahead just um slight snags in terms of the pay platform not being how we wanted it we wanted to have the simplicity there of being able to click the button if you're on apple Podcasts and to get it straight away And of course, the YouTube has been delayed because we don't have the viewing hours because we didn't use it for such a long time that we were demonetized after being monetized, first of all, for getting past a thousand subscribers. We've actually got close to 3000 subs on there, but we need the viewing hours. So do us a favor, just put those videos on and leave them in the background and that'll help us out as well. Before I move on to starting with SmackDown, let me tell you where you can find all my additional content. There are stories available at thedirtysheets.com. If you subscribe to the Patreon for bonus podcast, there is a tier where you'll get news. It's just $4 more per month. The original tier is just $6 a month. Therefore, 
you're paying 50 cents for every additional show, $1.50 a week, three bonus shows a week. So 50 cents per show is all you will be paying for the bonus content and then $4 extra per month for news. And when you consider you pay Meltzer $11 for stuff that's wrong and SAP five, six dollars, whatever he charges for absolute irrelevant garbage. This is the best place to go to for your news, but it will still be available at thedatasheets.com. And to make money in sports betting, head over to the website lockbetting.com. If you want to do your research, all of the spreadsheets are there. This is a service that has delivered 122 months in a row of transparent track profit. That means every single month for over a decade, I've been undefeated in sports betting. So if you want to sign up for the service, head over to my website lockbetting.com. Acknowledge me. Oh! Solo from behind. Well, that was Jay's way of acknowledging the tribal chief as things have once again exploded. Oh. Super kick. Superman punch. So that was Jay Uso apparently leaving the WWE. It's hard to say what was the main thing coming out of SmackDown. We led the top of the show with Rey Mysterio winning the US belt. Me and Cab have already talked and speculated about that on the dirty sheet, so we won't talk about that too much. We just basically speculated on whether this belt ends up back on Theory because they did invest a lot of time and effort in him, letting him beat John Cena, letting him beat Edge, letting him previously beat Rey Mysterio before, the whole thing with the failed money in a bank cash-in and sort of rehabilitating this theory character. Again, not that it needed rehabilitation. There wasn't big differences between the character that Vince McMahon was pushing and the one Triple H pushed. I guess he just wanted to put his own coat of paint on it. But ultimately, we ended up in the same position with theory having a US title run, but, but it's been ended by Rey Mysterio. So I don't know whether that leads to Mysterio Escobar for the belt or Escobar costing him the belt and Rey Mysterio and Escobar having a feud, or whether it leads to Rey Mysterio and Escobar at all. But I do think it's a good idea to put the belt on theory again. Not sure why they did this, perhaps just to give people a, a, a shocking moment, perhaps just to um, get it off theory and move him on to something else. We, we just don't know what it was. Um, we heard a story that was put out saying that WWE wanted to have a Mexican champion, but the answer isn't Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio is already a Hall of Famer and he's reaching the final fifth, I would say. I would say he's 80% done. So I would say he's in the last 20% of his career. So that's not somebody who you still want to put as the face of Mexican wrestling if you are desperate to have a Mexican face as champion. But overall, it was a very standard match. It was quite quick. Uh, Rey Mysterio coming in as the standing and winning the winning the belt. 
not quite as quickly as Warrior beating Honky Tonk Man at SummerSlam 88, but that was supposed to be what they were going for. The stand-in comes in, wins the belt quickly, long-term champion loses, and now we'll see where we go from here. But I don't have any kind of major reaction to it. It's just really a wait and see. I imagine they're going down the line of Escobar, down the road of Escobar and Ray, because that makes the most sense where one guy's jealous that the other guy kind of stepped in his grave and, and took his opportunity. But we'll see what happens. As for the bloodline, again, I can't really predict the direction they're going in. What I will say is that I was very intrigued by the explanation. And I did say prior to SummerSlam that I thought that that would be the finish, that Jimmy Uso would interfere. And I did say that if they went down that route, down that road, down that route, it would be the most difficult to explain. It would be the first sign that the bloodline were going backwards. It would be the first sign that the storyline was jumping the shark. Now, for me, this is one of the, if not the greatest storyline of all time. So it's bound to go backwards at some point. It's bound to have a little bit of a blip. It's bound to have errors when you're trying to continue it, when you're trying to almost force ways to keep it going as as long as you can, because obviously it's doing well in the ratings. Obviously, merchandise is moving, and obviously there's a big interest in this, and you want to try and get it to the next WrestleMania, if not even further beyond that. But this, for me, was an indicator that they probably can't go past the next WrestleMania, because, as I said, this was going to be hard to explain, and I felt the explanation wasn't that good. I felt it was the explanation that it, that I expected because I said it was either going to be Jimmy or Rikishi that cost uh, Jay the belt and that they would give this explanation that we don't want you to be the leader of the bloodline. We don't want you to be the leader. We don't want you to be the tribal chief. Roman's better in that role. I thought they might go down the route of um, Rome. The family want Roman to be the champion and we have to do what the family want and Roman's the one that's chosen at the moment and the elders want Roman that was one route that we thought we we could go down the other one was this Jimmy jealousy route they instead went down the I love you route and I don't want you to be like him it's plausible but it's weak when you compare it to everything else that they've done I wasn't overly impressed by that but again the acting sort of compensates for it. Roman was great in this segment. Jimmy was good in this segment. And Jay was, of course, good in this segment. The only odd thing is, is that Jay is red hot. And now it appears that he's coming off television after taking out everybody and walking out. He's now in a situation that CM Punk was in when he left with a belt in Chicago back in 2011. He's red hot and he's off television. So how long can they keep that going? And is he hotter than Cody Rhodes? Because if Cody Rhodes is ultimately going to dethrone Roman Reigns, you could argue that the um, that the story with Jay is hotter. You could argue that Solo turning on Roman is hotter. Last year, we had people wanting The Rock and um, then people wanting Sami Zayn, and it felt like Cody was number three. In this situation, again, people will always want The Rock. You've got this situation with Jimmy, which is uh, with Jay, sorry, which is a long-term storyline, and then you have uh, Cody in the background as well, who wants his rematch from last year. Not forgetting Solo as well, the possible Solo turn. So 
it's all very complicated, especially if it's supposed to be Cody and Cody's on Raw and what you're doing is, or what you may do is have Cody win the Rumble and not choose Seth Rollins and instead choose Roman Reigns. But instead, you've got these um, these hot mini feuds over on SmackDown that Roman's been involved in throughout the year with uh, Jay Uso, with the possible turn of Solo, and of course, the forever rumours surrounding the comeback of The Rock. So, it's not perfect with the bloodline. It's really the first time where there are doubts hanging over it and its longevity. But I'll give them a pass given how good it's been so far. And as I said, the acting, once again, did compensate for the weakness in the storyline, in my opinion. And Styles now. Oh, here comes Scarlett again. So Karrion Cross loses again. This guy is the biggest loser in the company for a guy who was supposed to be a big deal. Um, he's certainly not a big deal now. I read that he has actually lost nearly 80% of his matches since his return to television. That is not a star. And it's certainly not a star when you are giving a character that's supposed to be this killer. Now, I spoke about this on the day sheets. I finally unveiled my idea for Cross. This is an idea that I've given to Disco Inferno, and this is an idea that's sitting on the lap of Karrion Cross. If he likes it, maybe he'll try and pitch it. Maybe he's not in a position where he's even comfortable to pitch ideas, but I would be getting away from this bullshit, this supernatural shit, this killer shit, this tarot reading shit. Um, I would go to the social media game, I would go to the Andrew Tate idea that I pitched over on the Dirty Sheets, which is essentially, this is a guy who's got a hot girlfriend. This is a guy who trains in, in Muay Thai and, and does judo, and he puts it up on his social media. This is a guy with his, um, with his girlfriend or wife, I'm not sure which one she is, who goes out to various functions, parties. They stay in nice places. They go out for, for good meals. Uh, they put their life on social media. Just do that and become a heel. You're basically doing what Andrew Tate does, which is showing how great his life is. But you could exaggerate that and you could talk about how people want to be like you, but they can't because they're too fat and lazy. They're too lazy to go out and earn the money to be like you. They're too lazy to have your body. They're too lazy to do the things they need to do to have a woman like Scarlett. And Scarlett could be pretentious with it as well and say, you guys, you men could never get a woman like me. Only Cross can satisfy me. If they start saying that kind of shit and start really acting the way they do on, on social media. Because look, social media can go one of two ways. It can be seen as being um, vapid and showing off, or you could just simply look at people and go, oh, they've got a nice, fun life. And there's a fine line between enjoying people's um, posts on social media and being jealous and thinking that they're arseholes. And if they actually start gloating about it, they cross over to that arsehole territory, which is fine when you're a heel. 
But whether they take my idea or not, uh, they need to do something else because this character's absolutely dead in the water. He can't win a match and uh, he lost to AJ Styles again on SmackDown. Two grizzled vets, been everywhere, done everything, smacking the crap out of each other for the very first time. And then after, heck, we can go back and have a shot of some nice peaty scotch. What do you say? Swap that PD Scotch for a nice pint of Guinness, and you got yourself a deal. Just hope you didn't make a mistake. So we'll close out SmackDown by talking about this Edge Sheamus segment. I found this very weird. Um, it was like a weird little Hall of Fame speech in the middle of a SmackDown. Um, Dave Meltzer's speculating on Edge retiring, saying that he wanted to retire in Toronto. And there was um, there was a debate as to whether SummerSlam would be in Toronto or Detroit. And Edge was hoping it would be in Toronto, but it wasn't. And ultimately, he's saying that this was this is going to be the retirement match that he wanted to have at SummerSlam. I've not heard that at all. In fact, I've heard something to the contrary. So this is really just a plug for the exclusive news service that we're going to put out. As I said, exclusive news will always be available over at thedirtysheets.com. It's always been there. But we're also going to post audio news now up on the podcast. It's going to be on a different tier. So you'll get all bonus podcasts except news for just $6 a month. If you want to get the news as well, it's $10 a month, which still works out cheaper than subscribing to the extra podcast and going to the Patreon as well. So I am going to post a story out about out about Edge. I'm going to post one out about Logan Paul. And I also have stories about Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega. So four stories potentially are going to be posted this week. So if you want to get them all, make sure you upgrade to the Patreon. You can do it via Apple. You can wait till we have the... Uh, Apple Apple service where you just need to right-click your phone and then you'll be able to get it on your iTunes bill. Or you can take the effort to actually go to the Patreon and add the new RSS feed. Literally, if you're not an idiot, that is really easy to do. The link is posted on the Twitter account at Dirty Sheets X. So Cav has posted it at Dirty Sheets X. Just click that link and you'll be able to subscribe to the additional content where there'll be four news podcasts in the next seven to eight days talking about Roman Reigns, talking about Logan Paul, talking about Kenny Omega and talking a little bit about this Edge story, which ultimately I think is not going to lead to him retiring against Sheamus or after he beats Sheamus. I assume he's going to beat Sheamus next Friday on SmackDown. But overall, I thought this segment was strange. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just a little bit weird to randomly drop this in the middle of SmackDown and, and tell these stories and whatnot. I felt this could have been done in a in a different way, perhaps just by using talking heads. I'm not sure that it really translated too well to the live crowd. Maybe you agree, perhaps you disagree. Um, when we do have the ability for you guys to communicate with us via YouTube, when we can have that chat service, we'll be able to have more dialogue about the opinions here on the show, which is going to be the great thing about it in the future. advantage. Dollar with a coup de grace. Damien Priest in the ring. 
Dominic Mysterio, J.D. McDonough, Rhea Ripley. And total destruction everywhere you look. Now Sami Zayn set outside the ring, right into the arms of Dominic and Rhea. And like a pack of wolves, the Judgment Day showing solidarity tonight. Tearing, ripping, destroying, breaking everything in sight. Finn Balor said it's oh. time to make things right. Oh, yeah. You know who we are? We're the Judgment Day. You don't mess with us. You don't mess with us. Rhea Ripley claimed the Judgment Day was losing its killer instinct. It doesn't look that way now. Make things right. I'd say things are looking pretty damn right for the Judgment Day right now. Sami Zayn up high. Damian Priest says So we move on to Raw, and the main overriding story throughout Raw was J.D. McDonough's relationship with Finn Balor and the rift in the Judgment Day, with Balor looking like he was heading towards a pairing with McDonough and leaving the Judgment Day, and the Judgment Day basically calling him out on it and questioning Balor's loyalty to them. So in the end... What we got was a big finish where the Judgment Day ended up taking out Cody and Sami Zayn off the back of Finn Balor losing yet again. Now, if this group are going to be taken seriously, somebody needs to win a match because I understand some people will say that wins and losses don't matter, but this is the main heel group on Raw. They're supposed to be doing what the Bloodline are doing over on SmackDown. So essentially what Triple H as Booker has decided to do is replicate one thing that works. Go to the formula of having a heel group that you can insert throughout your show, beginning and end, and have them booked strong so that the babyfaces can face adversity. But ultimately, there's no adversity for the babyfaces. Yes, they get beaten up from time to time. But Seth Rollins won every match and came through the feud pretty much unscathed with Priest and Balor um, going off it, going off on each other. And now you have them going up against Cody Rhodes. And we know Cody Rhodes doesn't lose feuds. He's just come through a feud with Brock Lesnar. He's not going to lose to these clowns who lose to all the main event babyfaces on the show. So I think it could be leading to Kevin Owens' return. Um, I don't know how seriously injured he is. And that could lead to a six-man at the next pay-per-view where, guess what? Judgment Day will lose. Um, I don't know where they're going with the McDonough-Bowler situation, whether McDonough's going to be an addition to this group or whether he's going to be the fix for the Judgment Day and that's how he gets in. But ultimately, who cares? Because McDonough lost on his show to Sami Zayn. McDonough will lose matches. Bowler will lose matches. Priest will lose matches because he has the money in a bank and we're all supposed to forget about it as soon as he tries to cash in, if he cashes in successfully. And Dominic Mysterio, although he has the North American belt, we know is a guy who only got here because of his dad. That's a story we're being told and needs a lot of help from the woman 
from a woman to keep his belt. The woman is more credible than him. And she is the main credible person in this group. She destroys everybody that she goes through. She picked up a win over Indy Hartwell. I'm sure she'll beat Candice LeRae next week. That looks like where we're headed. And she's the strongest booked woman or strongest booked person in this group. But she can't go face to face with the men. But it's almost reached a point where I would be more convinced that Rhea Ripley could beat Seth Rollins than Finn Balor or Dominic or even Damian Priest could beat Seth Rollins or Cody Rhodes. So I'm not a fan, really, of this group. I'm a fan of each individual. I understand what Dominic brings to the table. Cavs high on Priest. Um, I was always a fan of Finn Balor with, with the demon character or whatnot and, and whatnot and, and his wrestling. But I also think Balor, as an in-ring performer, has slipped up over the last three, four years. He's kind of been living up a reputation that he built for himself. But if you actually look through Balor's back catalogue over the last three or four years, you will struggle to find a really good match. He's obviously a competent worker. He's obviously one of the first to come through the indies, had a great reputation, had a lot of great matches. But as we head to the 40-year-old version of Finn Balor, as we talk about the 40-year-old version of Finn Balor, he's ultimately coasting through matches. And we saw that at SummerSlam where he applied rest holds throughout the match with Seth Rollins. The the go-home sequence wasn't overly enthralling it was it was good but it was just your modern day wrestling go home sequence one two one two one guy tries to cheat um the miscommunication with the finish because he's heading into um an, an argument with priest and and, and rollins capitalizes and wins so I, i've not been overwhelmed by by finn Balor's work and i'm not overwhelmed by this group because of the way that they are booked i know how they're supposed to be booked or at least how they're supposed to be perceived but it's not really working for me when when you know the outcome of all of their feuds they they will not come out on top against Cody Rhodes just like they didn't come out on top against Seth Rollins so um this was the overriding theme throughout the show and for me that doesn't make the show very excited if it's booked around the judgment day and the potential judgment day breakup and JD McDonough um, getting involved in it and you wondering, oh, is McDonough going to be joining the Judgment Day or, or, or whatever you speculated at the end of this? Um, I, I don't think that's a that's an exciting story. I don't think that's an exciting plot line and something you can look at and say, hey, it was justified that I spent my Monday night watching this. The good thing about it is that what the hell does anybody do on Monday night? So it's not a huge investment. It's not like SmackDown or God forbid Collision who are in a really shit spot where they expect people to sit in and watch wrestling on Saturday. Obviously, the core audience of that is that wrestling fan audience who don't have any friends, don't have anything to do, have never been with a woman, live with their parents so they don't have the income to splash out on, on anything social anyway. So... Yeah, that, that will be the core audience of Collision. It will be the losers of the losers. And um, that that's the problem with having a show on Saturday night. But Raw will always be on Monday. But it is about to face some seriously stiff competition from the NFL. And it'd be very interesting to see how the Judgment Day hold up once football arrives back on television in September. Tag made to Eric and now the Viking Raiders looking to put Riddle away once and for all. Oh, Riddle though with a that flash knee. 
Lands on his feet. McIntyre makes the tag. Drew McIntyre is legal. Let's go kiss. Yes. A great throw by Eric. And Riddle will send Eric outside the ring. Riddle now off the second rope. More enough of Ivar to put him down. Maybe for good. Don't celebrate too soon, bro. And McIntyre with a Claymore. First it was the floating bro, and then the Claymore by McIntyre. McIntyre and Riddle with the win. So Drew McIntyre now paired up with Matt Riddle. I should enjoy this because I know both of these two guys and now they're teaming up and they're going to obviously put up a win streak and maybe challenge for the tag titles later on down the line. But I just feel both guys should be booked so much better. I think it's very unlikely that Drew has signed a new contract to do this. There's got to be something better down the line. And I can only think that if he has signed a, a new contract, I've not been told that he has, but if he has, that this is the start of a heel turn because they can fall short here. And Matt Riddle is a good guy to go up against for your first feud. You can turn on Matt Riddle. It will get the crowd to turn against you because Riddle can be a sympathetic babyface, and you can beat Matt Riddle. Rather than doing your turn straight away on Seth Rollins like Nakamura has, you can instead turn on Matt Riddle, you can win the matches against Matt Riddle, and you can be a strong heel off the back of that win. Perhaps you can even shoehorn another feud before you go on and challenging Seth Rollins. But the way that the company's booked these days, even the foresight and the thinking to go up against Riddle and to actually get wins against Riddle, which which Nakamura didn't do. He got one win that night against Bronson Reed out of the blue and suddenly became a heel who could challenge for the belt without having the credible wins. But we'll talk more about that later. But as for Drew McIntyre, coming off the back of this uh, this tag team with Matt Riddle, I am expecting him to turn on Riddle and to then solidify himself as a heel who can go on and challenge for the world title as a heel. That's what I'm expecting out of this. If it's not that, then I don't know what this is supposed to be. They're not going to win the tag titles. They're wasted as a tag team. These are two guys who should be doing a lot more in the company, especially when you look at the guys and the people that do get pushed. When you're looking at someone like Rey Mysterio winning the US belt, over on SmackDown, when you're looking at um, Imperium and Judgment Day being pushed so strongly on the show as heel factions, they really should be doing more with these two guys. Now, I understand Riddle has had his personal problems, but Drew McIntyre is a guy who was your world champion in the, from the main event of WrestleMania 36, although I understand it happened behind closed doors. And I, I do believe, and I've said this to Drew, that he will always be tainted by COVID, by being the COVID champion. That's something that they don't talk about. They don't want to talk about performance centers. They don't want to talk about Thunderdome. And as a result, and a heavy consequence, they don't want to talk about Drew McIntyre being the champion. So 
he's um, he's the victim of that, probably the biggest victim of that. And he needs to come out of the shadow of that. And almost if they do the heel run properly, they almost need to use that as fuel. This is why I'm turning heel. This is why I'm angry. This is why I'm pissed off. I carry the company through its darkest time and everybody, instead of praising me, everybody just wants to forget about it. Everybody wants to pretend I didn't do it. Well, I don't want to pretend. I want to I wanna shove it down your faces. I want to say, fuck you for, for forgetting about me. That's kind of the basis of the heel turn. If they use it or not, it remains to be seen. I very much believe that Thunderdome and Performance Center, that whole era is very similar to Chris Benoit. We don't mention it. Uh, we don't want we don't want it to be discussed ever again. We want to leave it in the dark past and um, and never even air that WrestleMania again. You don't see clips from from WrestleMania thirty six, do you? So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. I think it's fine to mention if it really does add a lot of value and credibility to a character. If it makes a lot of sense, if it enhances a storyline to a different level, which it will do because it will make Drew's heel turn make so much more sense than other heel turns before it, including Roman, then I believe it will enhance the story enough to the point where you can break your Chris Benoit rule and you can mention the dreaded Performance Center and Thunderdome and COVID again. But we'll see what happens. That's really my only prediction where this is going. Otherwise, I do feel very bad for both of these guys who are seriously underutilized by this company. As soon as you find a new partner, we'll be ready to... Whoa! What the hell? What are you doing? What are you, are you doing? Okay? <laughs> I'm your new partner. Actually, I was going to hold auditions. So if you wanted to leave, like, your name and number, maybe your Instagram handle. I don't think you understand me. I'm your new partner. Go. So another chapter added to the absolute fucking joke that is the WWE women's tag titles. We don't have enough women to even challenge Rhea Ripley and EO Sky over on SmackDown. I think we've turned Oscar babyface again because she was attacked by damage control. So essentially over on SmackDown, we have Charlotte, Bianca and Oscar versus damage control. That's it. Over on this show, we've had to bring back Trish. She's in a feud with Becky. And then your world title picture is Rhea Ripley squashing the shit out of everybody else. So you don't need tag team titles, but they seem adamant to keep them going, even though they are clearly cursed from Sasha and Naomi walking out to everybody seemingly getting injured as soon as they touch this belt. Sonia Deville being the latest victim. I actually thought that Sonia and Chelsea were going to be decent. I felt that they deserved to win the belts, which have been basically a hot potato for a while. Ronda and Shayna managed to win them, unify them. They did a quick turn because Ronda wanted to get the fuck out of there. And then they ended up on Chelsea and Sonia, who beat Liv and Raquel because of um, Rhea Ripley injuring Raquel Rodriguez, who's now the future opponent for Rhea Ripley. But um, but yeah, now we have Dewdrop just coming in and saying, I'm going to take the belt. Um, I think the auditions thing would have been good, but I guess your champions are Dewdrop and Chelsea. Uh, and I'm fine with it because I don't care about it. I stopped caring about these belts a long time ago and I would just be done with them at this point. But um 
Chelsea Green has done very, very well since she's got to the company. And if it gives Chelsea Green something to do, and it means she's going to be on TV more and we'll see more character work from Chelsea Green, uh, God forbid we see some character work from somebody because a lot of the show is just wrestling, 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 wrestling for the sake of wrestling, then I'm all for it. I'm all for anything different, anything that isn't just more wrestling. And um, looking at Chelsea Green is absolutely fine with me. Watching her do her character is fine with me. And less wrestling is absolutely fine with me. So I'll go with it and be fine with it for now. what he wants but the question is Wade whatever he just whispered to Seth Rollins whatever seems concerning to the champion and another Kinshasa Nakamura from behind so the question we were left to ponder here is what did Nakamura say to Seth Rollins we can all speculate on him I think he told him that he's seen his Japanese dick um, for anybody that's seen Japanese porn, or I believe they call it AMWF, Asian male, white female. I think that's the genre of porn, which is quite popular. And it's basically white women having sex with small dick Asian people. And we know that Seth Rollins has a small Asian dick. And that's probably what Nakamura said to him. He said, I remember your dick, or I've seen your dick or don't forget your dick, or I have more pictures of your dick. Um, that, that's what I think he said. But uh, we'll see what he is supposed to have said in the future, I guess. But that's what they're building this up on, a, a little whisper from Nakamura. One win, two kicks in the face, and a whisper. And we have a world title challenger against Seth Rollins, who for me, again, this is my weekly rant that Seth Rollins isn't a credible world champion. Uh, I don't like Seth Rollins in the main event. I believe that he's a good addition to the show. I believe he's good for a match on pay-per-view, maybe even the opener that gets people going. But ultimately, you have this guy coming out here dancing. He's not a very good promo. He's wearing his wife's fucking clothes. Um, what the fuck was he wearing this week? A see-through a see-through Jeff Jarrett outfit from 1995. It, it did look like something that he got from Becky's wardrobe. As I said, not a fan. Not a fan at all. I mean, I'm fine with it, and I see why he's a decent addition to any roster. It's not that I'm against Seth Rollins to the point where I don't think he should have a job, but I do think he's very much overrated, and I don't think we needed to create a world title belt for him. And I believe every time he's had the belt, in any situation, he's been weak. The only time that he was even semi-credible as a champion was when he had the whole authority behind him. And therefore, it was a case of you had Triple H and Stephanie on TV behind Rollins, and he was their hand-picked person with them as his mouthpiece, and they were limiting how much Rollins had to say and do, and all he had to do was go in there and have good matches and cheat to keep his belt. That's what worked off the back of that really good Money in the Bank cash-in as well. Since then, every other world title has, world title reign has failed. This one's failing too. Don't really have too much interest in this. 
And I guess we'll find out what he whispered in his ear, which was probably, as I said, I've seen your Asian baby dick. So that's what I think he said. I don't believe I've ever seen a merchandise used in quite this manner. I want that T-shirt. So we move on from Seth Rollins and we close out with the woman who managed to get pregnant by Seth Rollins's Japanese baby dick, and that is Becky Lynch and this uh, never-ending feud with Trish Stratus. Now, this is seemingly going to conclude next week with a steel cage match, which is funny because all of those people who seem to have the story and were online trying to make a thing of women not getting enough shine on SummerSlam and why was this match taken off? Well, it's because they're going to have a steel cage main event and I assume it's going to be a main event match, which is obviously preferable rather than having a normal match at SummerSlam and and just being third or fourth on the card and getting eight or nine minutes to do your thing. They're now going to get a proper match, a steel cage match on television in the main event of Raw, which is obviously much better. And I'm sure if this was pitched to the women, they would have agreed to it too. So all these people that tried to cry and shit stir and re-bring up this narrative about women not being treated white, they're going to main event the show this week. And also, if anybody saw this match between these two, it was fucking awful. The offense was awful. I believe Becky Lynch is just quite clearly working as safe as she possibly can until her contract expires and is probably looking ahead to Hollywood or looking ahead to having more children because she takes no risks out there at all. She protects herself 100%. She lands flat back all the time or, or flat face to the point where it doesn't even look real. Trish was laying in chops that wouldn't even have hurt Becky's kid. That's how weak they were. So this was a very, very poor match. If you watch it carefully, you'll see how bad the offense was. I don't know if guys even watch Raw carefully. I know Cav watches a lot of it on his phone. Uh, I've started to pay more attention because I have to do a specific Raw review now. But this match was bad. Anybody that says women deserve this and women deserve that, just watch this match and see how lackluster the um, the offense was and how poor the chemistry was between these two. They actually had a far better match in Saudi than this one. Hopefully they were saving it and holding it back for the steel cage match because they knew they had a a non-finish planned and most of the stuff that was going to be remembered was the uh the backstage brawl around the merchandise stand which was actually decent um but yeah the steel cage match next week i assume becky wins and we move on from there and that's the end of the feud but yeah i mean just wait and see where things go is the lesson that comes from this don't try and make up narratives don't try and make up fake stories i'm sure given that these two women have now extended the feud and, and had this match yesterday on uh, on television and then gone on to have this um will go on to have this steel cage main event on raw i believe they probably took that 
over having the seven or eight minute match where Trish would have lost at SummerSlam and left. And instead, they've managed to get two more weeks out of it and we'll have a main event match on Raw. So everybody proven wrong once again. Notice I didn't have any story about it at all. I wasn't told anything about these women being upset. I wasn't told that this match was either added or taken off the show. Only report facts. Only report what you actually hear. And whilst my Patreon may not have four or five stories a day because I don't make up shit, the seven or eight stories a month that we do put up are all accurate. They are all directly from accurate and trusted WWE sources that I rely on and that are reliable historically. And that's why we don't report bullshit like this. So these women will get their shine and they will get their steel cage match next week on Raw. And um, regarding the whole Becky situation in terms of her working safe, I've spoken about this before, but because we've got a bit of time, I'll talk about it again. I do believe there is some friction towards Becky Lynch. And I believe ultimately where we're going with her is um, towards a program with Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania, which I think Becky will lose. And then I think that she will just... Um, do very little on television for the final eight months of the contract. And when it runs out in 2025, I don't think she'll do too much. The only contentious part of that is that I think she'll still have time that she owes. If the company want you to, they will make you work the additional dates, especially if they think you're going to AEW or something, which I don't think Becky will. So Becky signed a brand new deal with the WWE in 2020. And then we had the pandemic and she got pregnant. So she immediately took nine months off, four months into her new deal. And I believe there was some heat from that because she came back, was immediately turned heel. Turning heel reduces your merchandise sales. And this is someone who left the company as the number one merchandise seller. Don't forget, Drew McIntyre, the champion at the time, didn't have as much merch as Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch had been red hot since um, Nia Jax busted her face open. She'd been red hot since then. And by the time WrestleMania 35 came around, she had a ton of merch, which continued to sell throughout the entire year. So when WrestleMania 36 came around in 2020, she was the number one merchandise seller. She signed a big, fat five-year deal in 2020, which runs out in 2025, and then took nine months off for pregnancy. So I believe that Becky will have to continue working up until SummerSlam 2025. But I believe the Rhea Ripley feud, if it happens, will, this is just me guessing, will probably conclude at WrestleMania 40. Then it'll be interesting to see how they manage Becky for the final 15 months, because I don't think she'll stay. I do think there is some heat there. I do think there is a frictional relationship with her and Triple H. But whilst that is being said by me, I do know that um, there, were, there wasn't anything said to me about there being friction with um, with Triple H and Becky and, and issues with Trish and Becky or Trish and Triple H about this match being pulled at SummerSlam or this match not being announced at SummerSlam. So I took the wait and see approach while everybody jumped the gun and jumped to the defense of the women and, and whatnot and made up all these conspiracy theories. I didn't do that. And I'm all for a good conspiracy theory. I can talk to you about the, the COVID vaccine and about Hollywood pedophiles and things for hours. I'm absolutely fine talking about that. But I don't think there's any conspiracy here. I think it was a simple case of, hey, look, we can put this on for seven or eight minutes or we can get more television out of it. We can get this um, this schmoz that we saw on this week's edition of Raw and we conclude with a big steel cage match in Canada, which can be Trisha's final match. She gets to re-retire in Canada again, uh, losing to Becky Lynch 
which I think would be preferable to anyone that has common sense. And given these two know exactly what this business is all about, I believe they would have been absolutely fine with this. And all stories about them having an issue with this have been blown way, way out of proportion. That's my overriding opinion on this entire situation. So that concludes your double review of SmackDown and Raw. Notice I didn't cut any time. You're still going to end up with 48 minutes by the time I'm done talking. This is my last chance to do some plugs. Subscribe to the Patreon for additional podcasts. This is your last free review of Raw and SmackDown you're going to get. And this is a bumper edition. If you want to get my wrestling stuff, head over to thedatesheets.com. And if you want to get my betting stuff, head over to lockbetting.com. That's it for your Raw and SmackDown review. Thanks for listening.